Thank you very much, John. This was like a <laughs> tour de force. Thank you. Uh, Thank you. Yes. It's, I mean, yeah, let's open it to discussion. Maybe I can just say that you provided a very interesting uh, map of questions to enter into your presentation uh, from a point in which, uh, I don't know, one can discuss the comparative models of today borrowing the uh, language of comparative models of the past, but also in a uh, uh, maybe reformulated manner. Uh, you also provided a very interesting comparative analysis of US and Turkey, bringing in Russia, China, and other peripheral countries into the picture by concentrating on the construction sector. So there's lots to discuss. Uh, so I'm just going to pick up questions from now on. Um, so if you have questions, please raise hands from the reactions menu. Uh, Sinan and Dennis. Sinan, your mic or your... Sorry, yeah, I fixed that. Uh, merhaba Cihan, thanks, thanks a lot for this wonderful presentation. I have so many questions and I know that I shouldn't ask all of them at once. <laughs> so I don't know where should I start. Well, let me try with, okay, why mega projects? Uh, because a lot of numbers and figures that you are providing us today are related to construction sector. Uh, which would include in infrastructure and, and, and real estate, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, is, is there any specific reason that you uh, prefer to highlight mega project in the title? And perhaps you're interested in pursuing this in this line. So I would like to learn more about that. And to maybe, maybe a follow-up to that one, uh, when we talk about mega projects, would that matter what kind of mega project that we are talking about uh, in terms of its impact on uh, neoliberalism or state capitalism, et cetera, et cetera. I'm asking this uh, because primarily because in the last slide that you showed us uh, that you, you, you were talking, you mentioned the, uh, the possible Biden-Sanders infrastructural overhaul and that's its possible impact on this model. Uh, so I would like to hear a little more from that perspective. And if you think investing in like green projects and renewable energy, uh, all of those ideas that came out from the Biden's infrastructure package, would that have, would they have any impact on on, on, on this uh, net nexus of infrastructure and neoliberalism, if you will. I have a couple more other questions, but maybe, maybe later. Thank you. Okay. Thank you very much, Sinan. Uh, th those are very good questions and I'm not sure I will be able to answer all of them, but let me at least try. Uh, so why mega projects? And uh, I, I am aware that there's conceptual slippage here. Mega projects are not the same thing as infrastructure and construction is pretty comprehensive. So why tackle all of these uh, together? Well, what one problem is really technical and practical. So I, I wish we just had num very strong numbers on each of these one by one. Like, you know, if, if I had very strong numbers on the jobs created by Kanal Istanbul, plus the bridge, plus the airport, separately and together, and then the wall. But even in the American case, we don't have those numbers. So if I want to use numbers, I, I have to look at something like construction, which can of course be very misleading. And then even there, uh, the, the numbers are not perfectly comparable. 
because TÜİK is not providing the numbers. They probably have them, but they're not publicly available. So we have the most aggregates of the aggregates coming from TÜİK. So to do anything uh, remotely uh, comparatively meaningful, I had to uh, rely on construction numbers. Uh, but the, the core of what I'm most interested in is uh, infrastructure and within that infrastructure, well, well let me point out one more thing. So if, if you look at uh, the nitty gritty of how people are defining what, what a mega project is, what infrastructure is, you see a lot of overlap. So these are not entirely different terms. They're not entirely same. But there is a lot of overlap. So a huge huge malls, these count as both mega projects and infrastructure. But the word mega project, so why is it in the title? The word mega project captures something the word infrastructure, infrastructure does not capture. And that's the masculinity, that's the magic, that's the glamour. So that there, is, there is no glamour in infrastructure, it's boring. It's like musilage, it's sewage, you know, I mean, it's not, it's not very sexy. But mega projects are extremely masculine, like the Chamlija Tower. So that, that's, that's the effect that's missing from the David Harvey type of literature. So we, we see that on the, on the margins of uh, the political economy literature, and we see that heavily in anthropology. And I, I want to speak to that in, uh, intersection of uh, the anthropology of magical capitalism and um, you know, more solidly numbers-oriented political economy. So that, that was just one question. I, I forget the second question. I'm going to come to your uh, Biden question. And, whether you know the type of infrastructure we're talking about changes these balances, it changes them a lot. So what's on the table right now is only one type of infrastructure. And we see actually a, a non-divergence between neoliberalism, embedded neoliberalism, statism, and state capitalism here. All of these are oriented towards roads, bridges, and the uh, infrastructure in that sense of the term. And they are, except with, with the exception of early neoliberalism, they're all very mega oriented. So when, when it comes to them, uh, the, the mega project title, I, I would stand by my title, title despite its problems. But if Sanders and AOC and the progressive wing of the Democratic Party win, or you know, semi-win, if they score semi-victories, we are going to be talking about a different kind of infrastructure, which invo involves childcare, which is not a mega project, which is not you know, masculinist, at least. It might be masculine, depending on your definition, but it's not masculinist. And it's, so it's not just sustainable energy. So th there is uh, childcare, which they define as a part of infrastructure. So if that passes, it still has not passed the Senate. So if that passes either the Senate or uh, through you know, a presidential de decree it is implemented, then uh, we would have to write another um, article or a series of articles because then this whole comparison changes. So a, a green social democracy uh, and its infrastructure turn would be pretty different from classical Keynesian infrastructure and neoliberal infrastructure and state capitalist infrastructure at that. Thank you, Sima. Thank you. Um, uh, Denis, uh, and then I put myself and then get Sima. Hi, Jan. Uh, thank you for this presentation. It was very, very interesting. I was also uh, quite intrigued when I saw a couple of um, the comparative graph that you show, which included the Czech Republic and other smaller, maybe more comparable economies to, to Turkey. Um, so in a way, I'm not totally convinced and I don't 
exactly by the US-Turkey comparison uh, for the following reasons. As the centrality of the state um, in these mega projects in Turkey is not quite the case in the US. And the, the private sector is, is front and center in, in, in building, in construction, even with the wall project in the US, as you know much better than me, I'm sure, that uh, the person you mentioned, um, Bannon, ended up raising private capital to build a, you know, a mile of this wall if it ever got to be built. So maybe I might suggest, because of where I come from and where I live, a, a more um, perhaps a productive comparison, um, such as uh, the country called Hungary. So currently we, uh, we are in Hungary going through uh, a phase of state capitalism where the great leader, uh, Prime Minister Orban, has suggested to build a, a billion uh, euro uh, campus in, uh, of a Chinese university in the middle of Budapest with state money, with uh, borrowing from Chinese banks ex exclusively uh, and spending taxpayer money and therefore paying that uh, money back to China with great interest. Um, all this is going to be, be built by the state, by the way, um, with, with certain very regime-friendly uh, subcontractors, of course, at play. So does that sound a little bit more familiar to you in terms of uh, how these mega projects and construction projects work in Turkey? So I might maybe suggest a, a productive point of comparison with a country like Hungary and how mega projects are argued uh, rhetorically, how they are, uh, how the... Um, the, the build, the construction work is, is, is spread among supporters, uh, certain oligarchs, one might say, in this region, and perhaps, you know, have a, a more manageable comparison rather than US-Turkey, which, which becomes very, you know, difficult and challenging, perhaps. Thank you. Thank you very much, Dennis. Um, I have a question because my connection was gone and uh, I, even when I was connected, I wasn't hearing uh, properly. We were being cut most of the parts. If, if there's a recording, I, I will definitely listen to um, your question, if it's uh, clear in the report. Uh, John, John, I'm sorry. Let Everybody's me frozen here. on my screen. Yes, yes. Okay. Uh, let me intervene, uh, perhaps. Can everyone, apart from the questioner and Gian, uh, uh, maybe f stop their videos to make this more possible? Um, maybe this would help, Gian. I don't Would know. Would you like me to quickly paraphrase the question or comment? Would that be helpful? Yeah, maybe uh, shortly, because I, I think I got the gist of it. Okay, yeah. So um, I'll, try, I'll try to respond. If, sure. Let me know if I'm not responding to- Absolutely, to, uh, why don't you go ahead? Uh, Gian, no, uh, I, I'm very I, sorry. I, I, Gian, Gian, Gian, Gian. Sorry, sorry, sorry, sorry. Uh, uh, with you that this is uh, Gian, can difficult. you also turn your video off for answering? Sorry uh, to interrupt. Uh, it's not coming. Your okay, answer is not coming. That. Okay, and I will, I will go on. Um, I will go to my modem. Maybe that will help. Like I, I will go next. To my modem and maybe yeah that maybe that will help yes exactly i mean the, without any uh, image it's very difficult so please open your camera when you do that and uh, uh dennis please also open if you, if you can and let's try like that maybe it will strengthen okay i'm i'm hoping this will work better okay john you can't yeah okay Okay, so sh 
Should I respond now? Should I try to respond? Can everybody hear me? Yes, I think it's it's good now. And uh, maybe we can turn our cameras and see how it goes. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, so Dennis, uh, I completely agree. And I, I know I'm going to run into a lot of uh, trouble because of this comparison. But I, I do think, and I'll try to make this uh, case again and again, that uh, the, the reason, when, when you look at the whole process of why uh, the infrastructure push failed in Congress, it's it was just impossible not to think of Turkey. And I know it's, you know, in comparative sociology, in comparative history, you're not supposed to compare the West and the rest. But I, I will disagree with this because uh, looking at Nazi Germany, completely different era, and looking at Erdoganism and the way they organized, the way they pushed these infrastructure bills teaches a lot about what Bannon tried to do and why he couldn't do it. When we look at the structure of the far right in the US, so it's not just the economy, it's also society. The structure of the far right is very different in the US. So we always say, you know, populism, fascism, and we think they refer to the same things. Well, they, these are very differently organized in these three cases in, in uh, contemporary US, in Nazi Germany, in uh, Erdogan's Turkey, and comparing them teaches us a lot. Now, having said that, let me come to Hungary. I did, I, unfortunately, I didn't hear everything you were saying about Hungary, but there I'm like 100% on the same page with you and I'm not an expert of Hungarian infrastructure, but I've been studying Hungarian populism and the far right and the overall Hungarian economy, not the infrastructure part, but the macroeconomy I have been studying for the last several years. I have a working paper on this that I will present at this year's ASA conference. So Hungary and Turkey will be in the center of that paper and Poland and India will be in the background. But my broader aim is really uh, comparing uh, these uh, six, seven far-right populist regimes. And I think, you know, that th this comparison can teach us a lot. You know, wh why, why you can pull uh, an Erdogan, why you can pull an Erdogan in Hungary, but why you can't pull it in the US. So it's not just because America is America and Hungary is Hungary and Turkey is Turkey. No, the, the far-right legacies and other, other aspects of Turkish history are, are as important as the overall structure of the economy and the legacy of the state. So people mostly think about, oh, you know, their economic size, their state structure. Well, I, I'm going to argue that uh, social uh, structures and far-right mobilization and far-right legacies are as important in understanding why uh, th there is a convergence between Modi's India, Erdoganism, and Orbanism. And, uh, you know, the, Amer the American far right is unable to catch up with these. Thank you very much. Thank you. Um, it's <clears throat> me, Miket uh, Sirman, and Ayfer Bartucan'dan right now. So, uh, John, thank you for this extremely uh, stimulating talk. Uh, I think I lost parts of it. Uh, and I also uh, sensed a kind of discrepancy between the beginning and the end. I don't know. The beginning became, uh, began more smooth, <laughs> with more smooth categorization, and the end ended with a lot of chaos which is great. Uh, but I have four related uh, questions, comments, and I'll be very uh, quick. Um, so the first question I have, uh, you can hear me, right? Yeah. Yes. Um, you know, I'm wondering whether AKP regime has ever been neoliberal, or in fact, you know, has any regime being neoliberal. Uh, the embedded neoliberalism is a very interesting concept. Uh, at the same time, it does presuppose 
or maybe not, I don't know, that's a question, that uh, neoliberalism was the regime adopted uh, by various countries. Uh, it can be, uh, I sometimes think maybe it's only uh, the third way that was, that adopted neoliberalism and uh, nothing apart from third way adopted neoliberalism. So I think that's my first question. Has AKP ever been neoliberal? And if not, if it was always an articulated regime, then uh, maybe this is a methodological question, then isn't it uh, more uh, meaningful to start with that complexity from the beginning to the end? Uh, uh, second, uh, again, to this embeddedness, which I associate with Polanyi, I don't know, because he used embeddedness. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, if state is at the core of neoliberalism, and if state has always been at the core of neoliberalism, from the beginning to end, from its transformation in late 70s or early 70s to today, then is it ever possible to think of neoliberalism without state? Uh, has there ever been an unembedded uh, neoliberalism? And if not, then has neoliberalism a kind of a, a political utopia of deconstruction? <laughs> I don't know, whatever it exists, with the help of the state, always embedding it in state, you know. Uh, so maybe these two things are uh, connected. And I know you are doing a very sophisticated comparative analysis. I'm asking very general questions, so you don't have to you know, respond to these uh, or you can respond uh, however you want. Uh, third, uh, I really, don't know this Bannon uh, Keynes. Uh, I mean, you're doing a very interesting restaging of very uh, different historical figures, right? Bannon and Keynes, maybe uh, <laughs> I, I miss it. Uh, but uh, Bannon asking for increase in taxes, Keynes for deficit spending, you know, that's super interesting. Uh, and uh, you know, I want to know more about it, but it's not uh, a question. Uh, but I want to bring Harvey here uh, because you also have a, uh, you start your, uh, you know, presentation with a strong critic of Harvey. And uh, Harvey also uh, writes about uh, the continuation of primitive accumulation. And he also writes about a concept he takes from Marx, uh, which he calls devalue or destruction of value or uh, value that can be created by destroying what the, the kind of capitalist value that also uh, that, that, you know, that uh, presently exists. So there is, uh, you know, coming from that Marxian uh, sphere, I'm not sure whether it's, uh, it, I don't know. I, I would be, uh, I'm hesitant to reduce Harvey to a Keynesian deficit spending character in the narrative. Um, because these mega projects are also both destructions of uh, realizations of or postponing realizations of value to the future. So in some sense, destructions of value and reconstructions of uh, value or opening paths for reconstructions of value or postponing the value process to a future. And he does capture that through primitive through a rethinking of primitive accumulation. Uh, so I have a question there about Harvey's split between Keynes and Marx. And lastly, um, you know, I, uh, you know, your, uh, I think it was your article maybe in 2013, which was uh, a, a, which was quite, uh, after your 2009 book, 
uh, and how AKP through instrumental, uh, instrument, yeah, instrumentalizing maybe, or maybe gaining hegemony. You know, that's also a split, right? Manipulation, instrumentalization, but also consent. You know, how to differentiate those two things. And they're morally loaded. When you say instrumentalization, it becomes bad. When you say consent, it becomes uh, an inquiry. Uh, so in that point, I was struck by your article, uh, how these municipalities in their uh, projects uh, projected a, a utopia to bring or to, how shall I say that? I don't want to say conceal, but to maybe mend contradictions among people. And there are so many contradictions among people in Turkey, you know sexual, gendered, racial, uh, urban, rural, uh, I mean, what not, right? We all live through that. Uh, so these mega project projections, I understand it's, they're very phallic, they're very, uh, you know, big, and they want to conceal a lot of things, but can they still serve to manage the contradictions among people or have they become also themselves a crisis point. They can no longer uh, you know, manage that, even though they project glory. So I'm bringing it back to your populist, maybe research, uh, populism research. Mm -hmm. Okay, mm -hmm. thank you. Okay, thank you, Jan. Um, yeah, again, as I was saying to both Sinan and Deniz, I don't, I don't think I can answer all of these questions, but I will think about them very carefully. But let me respond to what I can. Uh, so first of all, I, yeah, the, the, the first two are maybe easier to handle for me because I do deal with these, may, maybe still shortly, but I do deal with them in the paper version because I do not deal, I, I do not define any kind of neoliberalism as lacking government. So neoliberalism doesn't mean less government. It means the mobilization of the government for market-oriented purposes and the use of government for marketizing society. So the go government is always there, even in early neoliberalism. So I, I, don't, I don't see the government absent even in early neoliberalism. So you know, neoliberalism, even early neoliberalism, does not fit textbook or Hayek's dream of neoliberalism. It, it just doesn't. I mean, that, that's, uh, that's my beginning assumption. Uh, so um, the embedded neoliberalism concept only highlights that the way the government acts in the 2000s is quite different from the way it acts in the 1980s. So it, it is still pre present, but in different ways. And in, bo in both uh, cases though, 1980s and 2000s, the US and Turkey, the government still mostly prioritizes a market logic. So, my argument is that this is what changes in the 2010s. So the Turkish government no longer prioritizes the market. So back to your question of, you know, has Turkey or has anyone ever been neoliberal other than the third way? But I, I, I, I do argue that Reagan, Thatcher, Özal, uh, the first term of the AKP, even though very different, you know, one is embedded, the other is not or more, one is more embedded, the other, the other is less embedded, that they can be justifiably called neoliberal. And I am arguing strongly that 2010's Erdoganism can be called neoliberal only with very strong caveats, and neoliberal can only be an adjective. It cannot be the main descriptor. So I, I, I do see a huge transformation there from Özal to uh, first phase of Erdogan and uh, from the first phase of Erdogan to uh, the second phase of Erdoganism. So th those were only just your first two questions. The third question, uh, the, the primitive accumulation question, I, well, I, I am not saying I am disagreeing with the totality of Harvey's framework. I am building on Harvey's framework. I mean, all of my understanding of the spatial fix is coming from Harvey. So my intention is not to, you know, dismantle his fr framework, far from it. I mean, I, I am expanding on his framework, 
but he has no magic. That, that's, that, that's what I'm doing here. The, the magic and the consent and the contestation is missing. So yeah, wh when you read Harvey carefully, you know that he, you know, he draws on Gramsci, he refers to Polanyi, but his reading of Gramsci and Polanyi are di very different from mine. He is a very reductive, in, in my eyes at least, reading of Gramsci and Polanyi. He, he, he misses the magic, he misses the, the social aspect of uh, Polanyi in my reading. So I, I'm, uh, my aim is, you know, bringing the magic uh, and uh, the social into Harvey. Uh, I might be forgetting the fourth question, but I'm going to um, respond to whether the phallic symbols are resolving all of these contradictions. Well, I mean, my, my point is that they are not, but they're not meant to. So I, I am saying they, they, they are meant to provoke. So... And maybe this is, this is one of the core differences, actually. Uh, so I, I have overemphasized the parallels between the 1930s, between interwar regimes and Orbanism and Erdoganism. But this, this is one of the main differences. So I, I do not see a, the AKP's ultimate intention as complete Nazism. It, it is meant to provoke and it is meant to retain the provocation. And it is... Uh, at least this is my, you know, tentative reading. It, it is really meant to uh, keep these people on the street and then attack them. So uh, th this, you know, the, this instant instantiation of the far right, the Turkish and the Hungarian, it requires these counter masses uh, as different from fascism. If it uh, completely destroys uh, HDP and Ahmed Shuk, this party is dead. Um, so... I, I find all of these phallic symbols more, more of a, as more of you know a, a provocation rather than a complete smoothing out and destruction of the opponents. Thank you very much. Nuket uh, Sirman, Ayfer Bartu, Taylan Acer. Jahan, thank you very much. Again, a lot of thinking needs to be put into what you've just said. Um, I have a couple of questions too, um, and I, I mean, I, I mean, Jeren's questioning is really very interesting. I thought um, mine is a little bit different. Um, what I want to ask is about um, when you do any comparison, whether it's with uh, the U.S. or whether it's with Orban and Modi and you know the, these others. What are you going to? I mean, statism is something which has very inter interesting histories in this country, very interesting uh, ramifications in this country, which may not exist. I mean, is, is the state a father in the USA? I don't know. Is it, a, is it a father in India? I don't know, or in Hungary. I mean, the, the, um, the way in which statism plays out uh, in Turkey, in I mean, as you know, as an anthropologist, I will say these things. Uh, this is, I think, you know, something which I kept sort of bothering me as I was listening to you, kind of smoothing over these kinds of historical uh, differences when you were uh, doing your comparisons. So um, the the the idea that, or the um, the whole. And Turkey's populism is really not new, as we all know, and its statism and its populism are very much linked and they're not new. And what do you do with all this? The second issue which I have in my mind is to do with um, the extent to which democratic opposition can take place. Now, um, I mean, in the US, I don't know, I've, I haven't lived in the US except for one year and, you know, that's neither here nor there. Um, but um, if you go to Europe, for example, to Britain, which I know better than I know um, the US, uh, people speak up. Um, and now here we are not able to speak up. Uh, we've never really been able to speak up. Democratic uh, opposition uh, was very few and far between. I mean, the Gezi was a sort of interesting interlude um, in this kind of um, 
uh, authoritarianism that we've been used to. So maybe the comparisons um, between, uh, let's say, Trump's inability to uh, make the infrastructural projects, uh, why they failed, has to do with these notions of statism and the way in which democracy or democratic um, uh, opinions can be voiced in the US. How about those differences? That's the kind of questions that I wanted to ask. Okay, thank you very much. Yeah, very good questions. Yeah, I, I will need to think further, uh, obviously. Um, but uh, what I want to say at this point is there are certainly differences, but America has a history of populism too. It has a very strong history of populism and it comes in and it disappears. It comes in and it disappears in the 1890s, in the 1930s, in the 1960s, very different kinds of populism too. I mean, it's not the same populism in every decade. Uh, and going back to Jaren's question that I forgot to answer, it, it comes into this picture. So what's, what can be the relationship between Keynes and Bannon? Well, Bannon is aware of this relationship and Bannon is also aware of uh, Turkish populism. So that, that's one, another thing I want to say. It's not just differences and similarities. It's also um, awareness of each other. So the US far right is watching the Turkish right and Orban is watching the Turkish right and they're learning from each other. And Bannon is, uh, with the exclusion of Turkey, he was trying to, he was learning from Turkey, but he was trying to build an European uh, far right uh, coalition uh, excluding Turkey, but learning from Turkey. And um, the reason I'm saying all of this is, well, yeah, Bannon learns from Keynes, from the New Deal, very explicitly. He draws on these very explicitly. And uh, he draws on Turkey less explicitly, but they're definitely following. I mean, his uh, website, or what, what was once his website, uh, the Breitbart website, they, they draw on Yeni Shafak kind of reporting. So yeah, they never say the state is our father. You're right in that regard. So it's not going to be the exact same kind of statism or populism, but they are learning from Yeni Shafak and Yeni Shafak is learning from them. Yeah, that I can see. <laughs> um, so, okay, your, your, your smile just derailed me. Uh, <laughs> okay. Um, so what I'm trying to say is, I, I know I know all of these comparisons are very pro problematic, and statism doesn't mean the same thing in Turkey and in the U.S. and in Hungary and in India, and the same thing for populism. And uh, my, my bigger research project, the, bo the uh, book I'm working on, is really about populism more than statism. And statism is one of the, you know, one of the things in the mix, but populism is, is the main thing. But even populism is very, very different in the US and Turkey. And even when working on that, you know, I, I won't be high, able to highlight all of the differences. I, I will highlight more, some of them, and I'll highlight also how people are, or, or all of these far rights are drawing on each other. And despite all of this, there, there are convergences and there are divergences. And this is a half-baked answer, but I'm hoping in the book it will be, uh, yeah, more mature, hopefully. <laughs> okay, thank you so much. Uh, so we have uh, Ifer Bartu Thailand, and I'm uh, going to encourage uh, our students to ask maybe two last questions, because we're really uh, putting Gian into, uh, a lot of discourse production at the moment, <laughs> and it's great. I mean, it's really a great talk. Uh, but let's uh, let's maybe take a couple of last questions from the students. So right now it's Ayfer Thailand, and uh, maybe we can conclude this with two questions from students. I'll try to be very brief. Merhaba, Jihan. Merhaba. Wonderful to see you uh, here. Likewise. Um, the um, I, my internet connection was also not great, so I might have misheard some of the things, but from what I could gather, uh, one problem that you had was uh, the comparable data 
uh, that could be used, which is which is very true. I mean, the, finding some data for the Turkish case is a challenge. Uh, and again, if I understood it correctly, you were looking for data uh, for the the jobs that these mega projects created, right? Data that you couldn't find for the Turkish well, case. I'll let you finish and then. Okay. I'll, okay. I'll... No, because I'm, I'm going to make um, a humble, not design a suggestion for another kind of data, which, which is available, which you might use. Um, and I'm not sure whether that would be comparable to the data that you will find in the US, but the, the data being that um, these mega projects in the Turkish case, I'm thinking of the third airport, Kanal Istanbul and third bridge, their mega-ness, is actually more than those specific projects themselves. It is actually uh, the land markets, the area around them, um, where the price of land increases, skyrockets, even the name of the project itself. And, and in that sense, it's also very, it involves provocation. I don't think they will be able to really build Canal Istanbul, but the, the land market, the real estate market, already changed, transformed. I mean, the land prices are have, have tripled um, in that region. So this, so it's not only the projects themselves, but uh, the whole region, the whole surrounding is, is changing. So you might want to use actually that kind of data, which is available. And I'm not, I'm not sure whether that would be comparable with the mega project data from the US qualities, um, the, the mega-ness of these projects. But I think um, this aspect of the mega projects in Turkey is very significant. Um, and um, so, um, so I was just going to suggest whether that kind of data might be helpful to a, to perhaps say more about the nature of the mega projects in, in the Turkish case. That's why I was also confused, like Sinan, whether, why you have, whether you're talking about mega projects, construction sector, or infrastructure. Um, so anyway, I was going to suggest that kind of data, which is available. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not sure whether that might be useful for your argument or maybe whether it could take your argument somewhere else i don't know thank you yeah that, that's a very good point uh so well yeah you're right what, what i couldn't find was either you know the jobs created by each project or in the turkish case the overall uh, jobs numbers regarding the construction sector that tweak doesn't provide those even if it has them they're not publicly available so um I'll think about this. Maybe that there might be something comparable in Russia or Saudi Arabia or the Gulf states, or maybe Hungary, the, the, the case Denis brought up, brought up. There might be something comparable there. I'm not sure the, the comparison will qualitatively make sense in the case of the US because no, nobody speculates uh, regarding the region around the wall that, that was being built, what, that, which wasn't quite built. I mean that, that's not a that, that's not a house you would want to have next to the wall where the militias are you know killing migrants. It's an undesirable area, so the the comparison would not qualitatively make sense with the U.S. But yeah, may, maybe with Saudi Arabia and the Gulf states, yeah, there could be a sense that there could be a qualitatively qualitatively interesting story there. So thank you, uh, Thailand. Um, and um, okay, maybe we're moving toward conclusion, but again, let me repeat uh, questions from students. Are expected? <laughs> maybe just one. Thailand is muted, I think. I can't hear him. Thailand, can you unmute? Pardon. Şimdi, okay. Yes. Ağzına ağzınıza sağlık çok. Uh, thank you for the illuminating uh, talk. I also missed some points uh, because I'm not in Istanbul, but 
I had a few questions about Bannonism, Trumpism, and the comparative aspect of this talk, but I'll be very brief as well. Where does the $1.9 billion Biden proposal for infrastructure stand in this? So where do we go from this uh, in the post-Trump era? And like, like he's spending and he's proposing to spend an unprecedented amount uh, to infrastructure, not necessarily mega projects, not necessarily into wall, but he's proposing to spend like almost three trillion dollars. Uh, so where do we go from this, at least in the in the American case? Yes, that's an important question, and probably that's you know where my research will be moving after this. Maybe not in the book, maybe not in the, probably not in this article. So I, I want to look into that, and I, I have been following that closely. Uh, so there's the 1.9 million, and then there's the second package which he proposed, which is 2.25 uh, tr trillion. But when you put two of them, I meant I meant trillion. Sorry, I meant 1.9. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I, I, I slipped too. I slipped too. It's okay. So when you put them together, it is unprecedented, and uh, it's not only the Republicans uh, who are trying to do everything to block it, but a few Democratic senators and a few Democratic um, parliamentarians are also trying to block this. So that they, these might not be implemented. And even if they block it, Biden might uh, pass a presidential degree and still implement them. So what would that mean? Well, uh, it's inconclusive, of course, because even that four million, four trillion, four plus trillion, is uh, I won't I won't say it's next to nothing, but it's way short of what uh, the the U.S. Uh, uh, truly needs to make its capitalism float. So uh, a few research projects have shown, and a few congressional reports have shown that uh, you really need to spend something between eight and ten trillion to speak to the crises ahead. And I'm specifically thinking about ecological crises, but just, you know, this sustainable capitalism will require something like eight to 10 trillion. So I'm not talking about it like a transitioning into socialism or anything, just sustainable capitalism, it looks like will require eight to 10 trillion. And uh, here is what, you know, Biden circles are saying. They're saying, well, this is just the beginning and uh, we will go from here to that need, really needed eight to 10 trillion in Biden's second term. But we don't know if any of this is going to happen. And I, I am not sure. So now I am kind of moving into the area of uh, speculation a little. I, am, I, I do not believe that you can really push for this even for the four plus trillion, let alone the eight trillion without social participation. So all of my research and the cases by their very nature are restricted to the realities of the neoliberal era. And even as neoliberalism is sort of ending, th there is no uh, socialist threat or socialism in sight. Uh, there, there is not even like a proper social democracy in sight. And what the, what the world and the US truly needs today is you know, social movements and social participation really pushing for the spending of uh, these $4 trillion. If not, you know, uh, right-wing businesses and right-wing Democrats are going to block these. So uh, I, I don't see any of this realistically happening without street mobilization from the other angle. So, uh, so far, street mobilization has either existed uh, in favor of mega projects or against mega projects from the left, you know, from environmentalists, et cetera. But we, we need just the reverse. We need environmental and worker and other social mobilization in favor of uh, sustainable mega projects. And those are not on the horizon so far. I mean, we can speculatively, speculatively talk about them but they are non-existent. And pe people are trying to build something like that. But uh, I, I think mo most, most of the environmental um, movements, globally speaking, 
is caught in a small, is beautiful era. So I, I think, uh, you know, world capitalism is somewhere else, but world environmentalism is really trailing behind. Uh, well, there, there's also neoliberal environmentalism, which is, you know, uh, maybe in, more in favor of sustainable mega projects, but that, that is not enough. We, we need really bold social movement, uh, mega project environmentalism, which I know sounds like a contradiction in terms. And hopefully th this is what my next project is about, but uh, I haven't started the, you know, uh, empirical exploration into this project. We, we, we just got funding for it. So maybe in the next five, 10 years, I'll, I'll be able to say, say something less speculative and more empirically based about this. Teşekkürler. Ben teşekkür ederim. Well, thank you very much for this uh, encounter. Any last minute questions? Maybe one question. Yeah, from the students. Before we finish, or maybe not, I don't know. Maybe they're also. Maybe I can maybe. ask the yes, good. Go ahead. question or <laughs> speculation and concluding thoughts. Um, what would you think of the rising populism in the left when you think about the uh, what you talk about the relationship between state and neoliberalism? I mean, the increasing favoring of maybe the old welfare state policies or the increasing favor of uh, governmental policies, what as we as we can talk about in the Greece or in the maybe the Bernie Sanders movement. What would you think of? Maybe in a, in a, of course, speculative way of the left strategy here, the old classic question. Yeah, th thank you for that question. Well, I, I see uh, left-wing populism and left-wing statism as uh, both desirable and inevitable for a successful left, but they have to be subordinated to something else. So if the left is just statist and or populist, I think that's a recipe for disaster. But if, if you can build a, a democratic subject and the statism and the populism are subordinated to that subject, then we would have a different story. But I do not see a democratic subject on the horizon. So without that subject, just populism, uh, as we uh, experience or witness in, in Greece and Spain, I don't think takes the left or the Greek people or the Spanish people or the Venezuelan people anywhere. But after there, there is a revolutionary democratic subject, then uh, you know, populism and statism harnessed uh, by that uh, revolutionary democratic subject is, is a necessity. Many, many, many thanks to all of you for being here. It was so nice to see all of you. <laughs> I really appreciate your presence. It's very nice to see you.